We are in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be going through a lot of history tonight. That document of important intertestamental dates is a little guideline that we'll go through. And this is kind of what the night's going to look like tonight. I am going to go through this document briefly and give you a really crash course, quick crash course on Assyrian Empire, Babylonian, Median, and Persian, and Greek. I know that there's going to be a lot of names and a lot of dates thrown at you. This is why I threw this document together. Like, But the repetition, we will be repeating these dates over and over and over again. It's in a document for you to like keep looking over and over again. And then we're going to look at the different views, the strengths and weaknesses to how to interpret this chapter, chapter 2 of Daniel. And then we're going to go through Daniel, the chapter, second chapter, and actually look at what it's saying and then deal with everything will come together. That brief history, the different views, the text, and I'll try to bring everything together as simply and clearly as I possibly can on a very difficult concept. If you don't quite get it the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to have to go through this again. Welcome to being human. This is complicated stuff. There's a lot of information. I reread things over and over and over again. It has no mark of intelligence if you have to hear this again and go through it again. It has everything to do with just life is complicated and information is complicated. Let's start with the Assyrian Empire. Remember, Judah is living in Israel and they're becoming very bad. Okay, We're talking about the time period of the kings. Solomon has become king. After his death, God splits the empire into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom in the north is called Israel, and they're the ten tribes in the north. And the southern kingdom is Judah, and it's one tribe with a few scattered people in it. The Israelites have become way worse than the Canaanites at this time, and the prophets are coming pronouncing judgments on them. And the first thing that they begin to pronounce is the coming of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire will sack the Northern Kingdom tribes in 722, and then the Babylonian Kingdom will come in 586 and sack the Southern tribe. Assyria was the first empire ever, world empire. It was the first. Most empires were only about the size of this Babylonian region on the first map of the Assyrian Empire. So Assyria was the first empire. Now, I'm not going to go into all that history. We talked about that in Kings and that kind of stuff. So, but this is basically where world empire history begins with the Assyrians. So this is started by Tiglath-Pilazar III, 745. He basically becomes king and he begins to conquer everything. And he comes in. He's succeeded by several kings. And Sargon II in 722 sacks Judah in the north. Sorry sacks Israel in the north and takes them in captivity and scatters them all throughout the empire. The only one that is left is Judah. Every single nation in this orangish part was completely conquered by the Assyrians except for the little territory of Judah because God protected them because they had repented to the prophets. But that repentance would not last long. So the Babylonian empire comes along. This is 625, a man by the name of Nabopolassar comes into power. That's a good name for your boy. Nabopolassar comes into power, and he successfully throws off the yoke of the Assyrian Empire from his shoulders. He does this by making an alliance with the Median Empire. The Median Empire is north of the Zagros Mountains. This is a huge mountain range that goes all the way up to the Black Sea. And so he was able to go over there 
and make an alliance. And for the first time ever, they brought this large army across the mountains. One of the reasons the Assyrians hadn't conquered past the mountain range, they didn't have the ability to do that yet. But Nabopolassar and the Medes figured it out. And so they come across, and the Babylonians and the Medes together, hiring the Medes as a bunch of mercenaries, successfully begin to conquer the Assyrian Empire. In 612, they move into Nineveh, the capital, and they conquer Nineveh's capital, but the Assyrian army is not there. They're up here in Carchemish. Carchemish, they're up there. And then in 605, Nabopolassar abdicates the throne, not like in a bad way. He abdicates the throne and gives over the kingdom to his son, Nebuchadnezzar II, the famous, infamous Nebuchadnezzar. He goes back to the palace, Nabopolassar does, and Nebuchadnezzar II then conquers the Assyrian and Egyptian armies simultaneously at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC. That is significant because Egypt and Assyria are like the two biggest empires, and to simultaneously do that is incredibly significant. That same year, just a couple months later, Nabopolassar dies, and Nebuchadnezzar II becomes the king. That exact same year, he moves down to Judah in order to conquer Judah. And he takes them in exile three different ways. He comes in 605 B.C. and he takes, we already talked about this, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a couple of the kings and nobles into captivity. Comes back in 597 B.C. and takes Ezekiel and a bunch of other people. Comes back in 586 and he conquers the city completely, he destroys the city walls, he tears down the temple, and he carries everybody off except for the poor into exile. And that's pretty much where we are in the book of Daniel. I know that was really quick, but we talked about all that last week, so I'm going through that part just a little bit more quickly because of that. Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar II. I mean, he was phenomenal in a historical power sense, not like in his character. He built this empire into a great empire, and it doesn't really look that much bigger than the Assyrian Empire, but he made it stronger and wealthier. And the Medes at this time, he realized he had an alliance with them, but that alliance is delicate. When you share power with a great empire like the Medians like this, and they begin to grow in power because of your conquest, and you're growing in power because of your conquest, there's a fear that you're going to be betrayed because every alliance that's ever been made has always been betrayed by somebody. So he actually builds tons of fortifications along the northern borders to protect himself from the Medes because he knows that they could turn on him any moment. He also builds amazing palaces and fortifications and, and monuments and all kinds of stuff. And the city of Babylon becomes this phenomenal city where he actually like builds it on top of the Euphrates River so it flows through it and provides all these gardens and the, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon. We don't know exactly whether he truly built that or inherited it from somebody else, uh, but that's a whole other thing. He takes over. In 562, Nebuchadnezzar dies. And when he dies, he's succeeded by a series of kings. And each of these kings are pathetic compared to Nebuchadnezzar II. They, they are living off the coattails of Nebuchadnezzar II, so the empire is still strong and powerful and great, but they're living off the fumes, and they don't really have the intelligence or the strength to keep it going, so the empire slowly begins to dwindle in its glory and its power and influence, um, king after king after king, until we come to 
um, Belshazzar, who we'll talk about when we get to chapter 5. So it begins to dwindle there. At this point, after Nebuchadnezzar II's death, the Median Empire starts becoming an incredibly dominant empire. They are not talked about in historical documents like the Babylonians are, but they definitely become the upper hand. And they start becoming the most influential one. There's not a lot that we know about them because they really got overshadowed by the Babylonian and the Persian Empire. The Babylonians were so great and the Persians were so amazing. The Medians just had this temporary little tiny day of glory in between those two empires. And so there wasn't a lot that people got. It's like if your older brother's phenomenal athlete, intelligent, and the younger is amazing, and you just had these brief moments in high school, and you're getting, you just, yeah, you just kind of, and it's not that there's no value to you, it's just nobody notices that much, and that's their problem. So that's kind of how the Median Empire was. So this gets basically started with a man by the name of Cyrus Arxes. He's the one that united all the Iranian tribes into an empire. He's the one that made the alliance with Nebuchadnezzar II and helped him go over and conquer everybody. And then when he died, Asategas becomes the new guy. Now this guy is significant because if it hadn't been for the Persian Empire, we probably would know a lot more about him. He expanded the borders tremendously. He strengthened things tremendously. And what he's most known for is he gave one of his daughters to Nebuchadnezzar in marriage. And he gave another one of his daughters to a man by the name of Cambius, the first in marriage, who would then give birth to the son Cyrus II, who's going to start the Persian Empire. You can see how the Medians and the Babylonians and the Persians are all just kind of interlinked with each other biologically and power and alliance and everything. So he gives his daughter um, Man- Man- Mandane to Cambius the first of marriage, and this is going to give the Cyrus the second. Because of that, that means his heyday is not very long, because Cyrus II was amazing. Okay, so those are the first three empires: Assyrian Empire, phenomenal but bloodthirsty conquest, scattered everybody. Babylon is truly the most glorious, phenom- phenomenal empire that there's the world's ever really seen. And the median was kind of the, the ignored one, the, the not so great, kind of weaker and very temporary. And then now we're coming to the Persians. The Persians are going to be even far greater than the Babylonians. So here you can see the Median Empire was actually far bigger than even the Babylonian Empire. So it's amazing that they're just so overlooked. But we don't really, we don't have a lot of history on this part of Asia in a lot of different ways throughout history. So Cyrus II comes along, and this is the Persian Empire. So you can see how phenomenal this is. This is truly the biggest beast and machine that the world has ever really truly seen in the ancient world. And so Cyrus II comes along in 550. He betrays his grandfather, Asatigus, and he t- betrays him, conquers him in a series of battles, and he basically starts what's called the Medo-Persian Empire his mother being Median and him being Persian, but him favoring his father, he made the Persians the more dominant power. So he didn't completely, he didn't conquer Median and dissolve them, he just absorbed them. But over time, he just, it's gonna be known as the Persian Empire. He also is a part of a family called the Achaemenians, and so sometimes you might have heard of this as the Achaemenian Empire, but it's basically synonymous, the same thing. In 539 BC, 
he basically conquers, finished conquers all of Babylon. He comes in, conquers the city of Babylon, and he takes over. And he expands the empire, mostly going towards the Mediterranean, towards the west. And in 539, he gives an edict, basically saying that all the people from all over the world that had been scattered by the Assyrian Empire and then later the Babylonians could return home. They'd be allowed to return home back to the original lands. He would fund them. He would protect them and their rights to reclaim their lands from other people that had been living there. And he would allow them to take all their idols back with them and have freedom of religion. He allowed them to self-govern themselves. He allowed them to have freedom of religion. And he completely abolished all slavery and the entire empire. In 539, he gives that edict. Now, the Jews don't have any idols. So what he did is he allowed them to return all those vessels. Remember the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, the ones that Belshazzar is going to drink from and get drunk on? He's going to give those to the Jews and allow them to return. So the first return is in 539, and that's led by Zerubbabel. That's the book of Ezra. We'll go way more detail than that. 515 BC, the temple's rebuilt. And then the book of Esther happens in there. Ezra returns in 458, and Nehemiah is going to return in 445, and then rebuild the wall. Like I said, we'll go through that in a lot more detail when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. Basically, the Persian Empire comes along. He builds his, his successors, Xerxes I and Xerxes II and Artaxerxes and Darius, they all begin to expand the empire towards India and all the way to the Indian border. Now, so did Cyrus, but he's the one that secured it. Well, I'll review. For our sakes, what we're going to do tonight, Babylon is by far the most glorious empire that the world has ever seen to that point. He, he's going to set the standard for what it means to be an empire. The Medians are kind of like a a brief moment, and then the Persians are going to become even more phenomenal, and they're unstoppable. Babylon was powerful, but nobody stopped Persia. They lost very few battles. That brings us to the Greeks. In 334 BC, Alexander III, who you know as Alexander the Great, comes along. Alexander the Great is over here in Greece. His father, Philip II, began to unify all the Greek and tribes. And then he inherited that, and he decided he was taught by Aristotle. And Aristotle taught him that the Greeks were the best and most phenomenal race and culture in the entire world, and everybody was dogs and barbarians in comparison. So they all need to be dominated, and the whole world needed to be turned into Greeks. And he says, I'm going to do it. So he crossed the Hellespont Strait right here, Across the river. He's the first person that ever bridges the West and the East together. And within about three years, he conquers pretty much all the Persian Empire. The fastest that anybody's ever conquered the world. And he defeats them in several places. He's also very full of himself. Everywhere he went, he declared himself to be the god of that nation. And then he named a city after himself called Alexandria. There's a lot of them. So when they're like, hey, it's Alexandria, you're like, which one? There's like, he conquered all the way down. At the age of, um, in 331 BC, Alexander defeated the Persian Empire and conquered Asia, and in 334 BC, he died. He died of food poisoning or sexually transmitted disease. There's all these theories on how he did, but some kind of sickness. His empire, he never really lived long enough. He was about 23 years old. He never really lived long enough to really establish his empire really, truly successfully. 
So he didn't really leave, he wasn't able to leave anything behind. In fact, he died on his way back. His men, he can't, didn't even get back to Greece, so he didn't really secure his kingdom. So when he died, his kingdom was divided among four generals. Lysimachus, Cassandra, and then the two most important ones are Ptolemy, Seleucus. He takes over. These are the most prominent ones. It's about this time that they then take control over Israel. Okay, Now, it's these guys, the Seleucids, that are the most important for what we're going to be getting later to in the book of Daniel in chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11, that kind of stuff. And basically, in 167 B.C., Antiochus IV comes along. He's a descendant of, the, he's a Seleucid, and he's controlling Israel. This guy is the probably the biggest narcissistic megalomaniac with delusions of grandeur that you've ever seen. He is full of himself. He demands that the Jews worship him as a god. He comes into the Jews. He mints coins with himself on it, forces it into trade, which is not good because they are not allowed to grave in images. He abolishes all Jewish festivals, all sacrifices in the temple. He brings a statue of Zeus into the temple, sacrifices a pig in it, and then goes every to very village demanding everybody sacrifice pigs to him, and most Jews give in. And this leads to what's called the Maccabean Revolt. A family called the Hasmoneans come along in 167 BC, and they're like, we're not doing that. And they begin to rebel in a guerrilla warfare kind of way. And as they rebel, they successfully drive the Seleucids out. And in 164 BC, on December 14th, they successfully drive the Seleucids out. They go back into the temple. They kick all the, the Greek soldiers out. They take the temple back and they purify it, get rid of the idols, the pigs, and the blood, and everything. And that becomes the beginning of Hanukkah. That is, the, that is what Hanukkah is commemorating. He killed a lot of Jews in the process and that kind of stuff. And so then eventually the Greek Empire will begin to collapse even more, and then the Romans will come along. Now, we're not going to really talk about the Roman Empire necessarily tonight. That's a much later thing. What you need to know, Babylon, great, phenomenal. Median, don't really know about them. They're really brief. Everybody passes over them. Persia, incredibly phenomenal. The greatest and strongest empire the world's ever seen. Greek is the fastest anybody's ever conquered the world before, but never really gets the same power and influence as the Persians. And the Greeks distinctly have a very powerful time, Alexander III, and a very weak time where it's all split among their four generals and all their descendants. Now, I know that was the fire hose, drinking from the fire hose, but I just want to give you like a general framework of how things are working here in your minds. Like I said, the important thing tonight is not exactly to be an expert in all this historical stuff, but just have a loose framework so that when we talk about this, you have an idea of this.